Hello and welcome back to the Diaries of a Lady Gardener podcast, hosted by me, the Lady Gardener. I am so happy to be back chatting to lots of lovely plant-obsessed people about their stories. From flower farmers and allotmenters to some of the greatest garden gurus, listen to us chat about the things we've done in the name of plants, from our biggest achievements to our fabulous garden fails. This season is sponsored by Mole Valley Farmers, who are all about keeping your garden tidy this autumn. Visit them in stores across the UK or at moleonline.com between now and the 26th of October to make the most of their fantastic offers. You'll find discounts on items like wheelbarrows, lawn seed and bulbs ready to plant for spring colour. So head over to check out these items and many more. In this episode, I chatted to the wonderful Lucy, otherwise known as She Grows Veg. Lucy was my inspiration to apply for the Hampton Court Palace community allotment after doing such an amazing job in 2021, so it was a really special podcast getting to chat about that. Plus, she took on the Cedarwood homestead around a year ago and has made an insane amount of progress, and since recording this, she's even gone and launched her own online shop. That's not to mention the tomato chat with the Tommy Queen. We had so much to talk about, so I hope you enjoy. Hello Lucy, welcome to the podcast. Hello, it's lovely to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time. I'm so excited to chat to you about all things Homestead, the shows. There's just so many exciting things that you've been doing, not just this year, but (laughs) this year in particular. It has been a particularly busy year, I have to say. I'm quite tired. I'm still not recovered. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure you ever will recover at this point. I think it will probably be a constant state. Yeah, if I think if I wanted to to not be tired all the time, I really shouldn't have built the life I've just built for myself. So I've got now I've got myself to blame. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all worth it, right? If you fully oh, believe in it. So worth it. I have to say, like, of all the things, like, we're, we're tired, you know, it's, there's still so much to do. There's loads that we still want to do here. But at no point have we ever regretted the decision to do it. So. <laughs> So we're doing something right anyway. (laughs) Absolutely. And that is the important thing. Um, So to start off with, because I feel like I actually don't even know this story, even though I followed you since I very first started gardening. But can you take us right back to the very beginning of kind of where your love of gardening came from? Okay, well, I think it kind of crept up on me and I didn't even really realise I had it because I think, you know, a lot of people are aware that I didn't originally start in horticulture. I started in the fashion industry. And yeah, you can't really get a bit much more poles apart, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And, you know, I had I had much experience. I think a lot of people did. It's a tough industry to work in. I had um, my own couture jewellery label and I went into that because I'm a creative person and I liked I just loved making beautiful things Um, and just got really wrapped up in running a business and in, in a really particularly tough industry, which, you know, just makes you kind of question yourself as much as your product and your business. And um, although I kind of did all the things that I had ever dreamt of doing, you know, when you start out and, and you're like, oh, my God, one day I'd love to, you know, get my stuff on the cover of Vogue or I'd love to work with this celebrity or I'd love to be in these magazines. And I managed to do all of it bit by bit. But I was so wrapped up in stress and like always aiming for the next thing that I had to get done and things I just never 
pardon the pun, stopped to smell the roses at all. <laughs> <laughs> and I reached a point in the business which, um, it, you know, it, it costs a lot of money to run a, a, a fashion brand. You have to you have to pay for the materials and you have to pay for doing you know, Paris Fashion Week and things. And you have to pay for everything before you can invoice any money. So cash flow is a real problem. So I got to a point where I, either I was going to have to bring in an investor and make it like a big brand in order to be able to afford to keep making the jewellery, or I was going to have to shut it down. And it gave me just a kind of moment of to kind of stop and breathe and think and go, do you know what? actually not really having a lot of fun here and I started this business because it was something I was passionate about and it made me happy to make jewelry make beautiful things but I haven't been happy in a really long time so I kind of stopped (laughs) I I wasn't gonna go out and find investment I was gonna shut it down Um, and that's what I did and it was it was tough to do that um, and you know be in my early 30s and closing down what was on one hand quite a successful business and my dream business but um it I've never looked back and I've never regretted the decision whatsoever but all the way through that period I grew some edible plants Mm -hmm. um but without really thinking about it I never had house plants or anything that was just purely ornamental it was always edible somehow um, and I did it with very little skill I must say as well <laughs> and with very mixed results I never bought gardening books I never like looked I never researched into what I was doing and I don't think I ever really thought of it as a hobby so when I was interviewed and, and stuff at the time and they're like oh what are your hobbies and things I, I it was never gardening I never even <laughs> registered that I even really did it which sounds so weird but um few years down the line after all that um I was going through a horrible horrible life event um that was just it was horrible it was truly distressing time and I needed something that was nothing to do with it and nothing to do with my past life and something that was kind of consuming so it would distract me um and just make me happy basically and it was the growing food that was the thing that I started doing so I kind of did it in very much the way that I still do I started by researching heirlooms and old varieties and unusual edibles and ornamental edibles and just a kind of quirky take on what you can grow that's edible and that's what really interested me Um, and at the same kind of time like around the same time my sister was like you need to be on Instagram you'll love it you're really visual like you'll love taking pictures and the community's really great and she set me up a thing and we she was like like, what do I call myself she's like I don't know we had loads of names anyway she grows veg one Uh, (laughs) and um yeah that was it I just started just like anyone else just sharing my day-to-day, I did this today type thing. Um, And I didn't have any agenda. I didn't start out going, I am going to be an Instagrammer. I just wanted to connect with other people who were doing what I loved in their way Um, and maybe not in the way that we're told to do it in gardening books because I never really connected even when I started to really get into this and really kind of pour my heart and soul into it and research what I was doing and also study it which is what I ended up doing um I've never connected with the traditional this is how it's done 
um, way of gardening. It just doesn't do anything for me because I think having come into it later on and with absolutely no preconceived ideas whatsoever of how to garden, um, it feels really weird that there would be one set of advice for everyone. And, you know, the, this is how a seed packet says you can grow seeds. And this is how a book says you can, you know, the time of year you can do things. Where we live in a country that's absolutely full of tiny, tiny microclimates that are all dramatically different. And even, you know, you can go just down the road and someone's in a frost hollow and they're having, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks difference in their last frost date from you. So I, it found, I found it all just a bit prescriptive and generic. their advice and so Instagram for me was a way to connect with a much broader group of people who were trying things and sharing them and that for me was a a better way to learn and and grow um, than, than kind of doing it by the book literally. Absolutely and I think it's so important to talk about as well because I think that like when I did my RHS level two that I was talking about yesterday that was the thing I struggled with it was very much like what is the exact distance you should have between bean seeds and I was like but I don't grow in that way I would never get a measuring tape out and go oh let me check that my plants are spaced equally apart and things like that so I I love that take (laughs) absolutely and I think unless you try stuff and let and go into it you know fully accepting the fact that some of it's not going to work then you're not going to learn what you can do and what your garden can do for you um you're only ever going to do what someone else has decided will work for you and I think that's that's really important because um I've grown loads of stuff that I'm not supposed to be able to grow (laughs) and you know people are like oh but you know is that an indoor tomato or an outdoor tomato Someone's just arrived at the door. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, pe- people ask questions. Is it an indoor tomato? Is it an outdoor tomato? Can you grow it indoors? Can you grow it outdoors? And I'm like, just try it because sometimes it can do, you know, things that people, you know, it's not supposed to do. And um, I think it's it's just a better way of learn- learning the limits of and, and what is possible is just to try it. And if it fails... It's okay. It was a packet of seeds. It didn't grow. It's not yeah. a problem. Doesn't and matter. You learn, you learn so much from the failures because ultimately, if something's gone really well, you don't necessarily know why it's gone well. Whereas if something fails, you can work out where the problem has been and then try again the next year or whether it's your microclimate or there's so many factors that can build into that success or failure. So actually, the, the failures are where you kind of go, oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, You've got so much more experience having experienced that for real in real life rather than being told that that's what's going to happen so um yeah that's that's very much the approach that I've taken it's still the approach I take you know people probably look at my uh the things that I put out and on social media and go oh she knows exactly what she's doing but you know I've given myself three years to learn what I'm doing at this homestead uh, and I'm not going to stress before then because it's still I'm still on a massive learning curve and I think we all are and at the point that you get to where you go I know everything I know exactly what I'm doing I think you've you've just really limited yourself so I, I, I hope that I will never stop learning and never stop on some level failing here and there <laughs> Yeah, I think it's just especially on this journey, you have to you have to accept that those things are going to 
come and they're going to happen. And ultimately, can you know everything there is to know about gardening? I think if you end up with that mindset, you might have gone wrong somewhere along the path because there's always going to be something new to grow and always going to be something that you you haven't heard of before or diff- like say a different way to do the exact same thing that everyone else is doing, but that suits yeah. you much better. So yeah. As well, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. Our climate is changing, which is a terrifying thing. And so from year to year, you don't know what you are dealing with. You know, last year we had an incredibly wet, cold summer. You know, it never really got up much above the low 20s. And then this year it's been absolutely scorching hot. And we didn't have rain in this part of the country from February all the way through to October. Oh wow. Nothing. <laughs> so you know, what's the new normal? You've got you've got to roll with the punches and therefore, you know, you you are always going to be learning on the hop a bit, which is good. I think it makes you way more resilient as a gardener. Definitely. And adapting, like you say, with the changing climates, things that grew really well a couple of years ago in a couple of years might just not not perform at all in the exact same space because of that change in climate. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons it's really important to stay open minded on the crops that you grow as well. Um, And, you know, I hate the whole um, uh, novelty crop thing like oh it's it's a quirky purple carrot and things I you know actually if you are really interested in plants and you want to build a really resilient future-proof garden you should be trying new crops all the time you should be trying heirlooms you should be trying perennial veg you should be trying ornamental edibles you should be trying all these plants because it may we may get to a point where you can't grow leeks anymore and you they just won't grow for us or you know all these things these crops that we've re- relied on as the generic constant of veg um we may well get to a point where they don't grow anymore and if you haven't tried out alternatives you have a gap that you have to learn to fill again from someone else so i think it's really important to constantly be trying stuff and experimenting and yes it's not always going to work don't give it just one year give it a few years and then rule it out as you know it didn't actually taste good or it didn't actually work or it didn't crop heavily enough but try stuff and it's all it's always the most exciting stuff when it does work wow this is awesome (laughs) absolutely and so i would love to know where you kind of where you get your inspiration because you grow like the widest range of unusual veg that people have never heard of where is it that you kind of go to find those new exciting things is it kind of like an Instagram do you dive deep down into archives is it a particular supplier I all all of the above really so if I see something unusual online I'll bookmark it um, and then research it so um uh, and I'll look uh, uh, when I find kind of small independent seed companies or plant suppliers and things, I'll go through the whole website and see what they've got and and pick out favorites and, to try and things because um, there's just so much out there. And if you just stick to the big generic companies, they're pretty much all owned by the same umbrella company anyway. So you're always being just offered exactly the same stock, just different, like branded under under different packaging. Um, and so, I, and it can be really fun. Like you can, it, it, sometimes I will set my heart on something and it can take a really long time to try and figure it out. And also you have to kind of decode it a bit. So, I mean, for example, there was a hops that we really wanted to grow that's supposed to be the best tasting hops. Um, and I heard about it from a brewer and it turns out you can't grow it, but this took 
weeks of research to find out is there's like a proprietary license on the hops so you have to be a grower uh, a brewer in order to grow it so it's things like that but then you know if I hadn't fallen down that particular rabbit hole um I would never have known that that was even a thing that you could have a proprietary that you you know you could license a plant so that no one else can grow it that sounds crazy (laughs) but it's just things like that so I think um yeah, a- anywhere that you find inspiration or articles about um, things that used to be eaten, um, as long as they're not put forward as, as isn't this hilarious, you know, the, the quirky nature of it, um, which is just some, a real pet hate of mine. If it's, you know, if it's well thought out and it's interesting, then try and get hold of some of it because usually you can find it. You just might have to be a little bit resourceful about where you find the the, the seeds or the plants. Um so a lot of things are grow are sold as ornamentals these days that are actually edible. So that you know, don't just stick to the veg section because you'll usually find the most generic plants. But it's worth going through, you know, the ornamentals area if you know what you're looking for. Um, and although I'm not a massive fan of botanical Latin, uh, because I think, uh, and I say that it has probably people screaming at the the, uh, computer right now but it 100% has its place and this is the place that it has but I just I have a bugbear with it in where people use it in general day-to-day conversation I think it is incredibly off-putting for um, new gardeners I think you immediately feel um intimidated by it and it's like someone's trying to make you feel stupid that's that's the issue that I have with botanical latin so don't use it on a day-to-day basis um but if you find a plant that you really want um it is worth finding the botanical the proper botanical latin name for the one that you want and searching that because you can come up with some really obscure suppliers that will Mm -hmm. only talk in latin (laughs) and find it that way (laughs) Oh, I'm already excited to go. So I've not planned my veg for the year because I'm kind of changing everything I do at the allotment to go much more kind of perennial veg. And I want to grow things that are not such a novelty where I go, oh, cucumelons, they look cute. Let's grow them, even though no one it's likes horrible. them. They taste <laughs> horrible. They're a pointless plant. But I keep falling into the trap of that kind of like the novelty things that look like they're fun to grow. And quite a lot of other people will be like, oh, it's been really fun to grow. Like it doesn't taste great, but it's fun to grow. But this year, it's definitely about the kind of things that I'm going to eat, things that I want to try that are something a bit new uh, and making it much more low maintenance. And I love the idea of perennial veg, if you can get it to work. And since kind of having that idea, I feel like things keep standing out to me and being like, oh, I'm a perennial veg, grow me. And it's really exciting. (laughs) So much more exciting than just going, oh, everyone grows this, this and this. So I'm going to grow this, this and this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is the exciting thing. And you can chuck in some, you know, of the regulars as well. Um, But I think once you start researching all the things that are possible and also um, some quite left field alternatives to to generic things it it just becomes quite exciting and and that figuring out process of what works for you um that's that's really I think an exciting journey to go on definitely and so that brings us quite nicely into obviously the homestead <laughs> yeah. must be one of your biggest projects ever but <clears throat> I I've loved watching it right from the beginning kind of where you set out your plan of what you were going to do with the space do you think that you are sticking to the plan have you kind of veered off because there's, so, there's so much inspiration constantly so 
I watched the videos. I made a video. I made two. I made, but I made one where I was literally walking around before we even completed the field that it was and around the outside of the rotting shack that was sitting there. And I laid out all the things that were like our dream. And that was the approach that we took. I think you could probably say with confidence that neither Michael or I are very conventional <laughs> in the way we approach things which is fine and that's you know we didn't want this to be conventional I didn't want to come here and set up a load of rectangular raised beds and um you know just just do it the way that you'd expect it to be done I wanted to do it in a way where you you could walk around it and be like wow this is not how I would imagine a homestead to look or operate but also you know it is our home and we live here and and we love it and we I wanted for us to walk around and every day wake up and look out the window and go wow we built this it's gorgeous it's amazing so it was an opportunity for us to basically let both of our imaginations run absolutely wild and that's what we did like everything we thought of and that we wanted to try we tried. So I did this video where I just listed all the things we're going to do this. I'm going to try this. And I reckon we could do this. And do you know what we've done? Basically all of them, I have to say, I think we had a really, really clear idea right from the beginning of what we wanted to do. Um, and yeah, I'd say we've, we've done it. There are a few things that didn't come off just because of cost. So mm-hmm. one of the, we, you know, the garden obviously is a massive focus. We did build the garden before we built ourselves a house. <laughs> that's where our priorities lay. Um, but it was as well the, about a big picture, building a life for ourselves where um, we could live more sustainably all round. So all the, you know, we, we didn't start completely from scratch. We did actually rebuild the house that was here Um a lot of rebuilding it was <laughs> <laughs> but as we had to do so much work to it we wanted to take the opportunity to make it as eco as possible um and I think we were shocked by how hard that was based on the position that we are in as a work you know globally with climate change we were shocked how hard and how expensive it is to make eco choices um so there were some things that we wanted to do that we just couldn't because we couldn't afford them we you know we set out to do this project and we knew we never had enough money to do it but we were like it's now or never it's never going to be better let's just jump off the cliff and figure it out as we go along um but most of it most of what we wanted to achieve we've done and there's still loads to do um I think it, I mean, it's never going to be finished. It's going to be one of those projects that's never finished. And we've got big areas where we've left it completely. Um, so pretty much just big patches of weeds. That's <laughs> fine. It's good for the wildlife. Um, so that we can live here for a while and see what we want to do next. Because, we, you know, we had all these ideas and we've implemented loads of them and it's doing great. But I think as we live here and we, we you know, we, really go deep on this way of living and aim to be self-sufficient um there's going to be things that we're like right now we need to do this or how about we try this um and so we're leaving the space to be able to do that so it's really very much an ongoing journey and it will be for a long time I think 
Oh, it sounds so exciting. And so you've documented quite a lot of this, possibly even all of it on YouTube. Well, we've just, we, we, the ideal would have been, so while we were building this, obviously we were sharing it primarily on Instagram um, because we just didn't stop working. So basically we took possession of the house uh, at the end of October. So we haven't even owned it for a full year. Um, and we started building straight away and we were doing, we were literally here at seven and leaving at 10 at night, completely exhausted. So that doesn't really give you a lot of time to mm-hmm. film and edit videos. So we kept getting messages from people going, oh, please do it on YouTube. Please do a YouTube channel. Please do it. And we were like, oh, I don't have time. I don't have time to eat or like wash. <laughs> I can't make YouTube videos. <laughs> but um, can't say very much more than you will see what we did but I can't tell you how but you will at some point this autumn or winter but I don't know when anyway exciting yes um but now we have a little bit more time and I do say a little bit more time not like a teeny tiny little ounce tiny bit more time um we decided yeah it was time to to start a youtube channel so we've just launched that which is really exciting and i'm really enjoying it actually so i think do you know what i don't think it's even a controversial statement anymore to say instagram has changed yeah everyone's talking about it (laughs) everyone's talking about it and i think um I haven't heard anyone say a positive thing about Instagram in about six months now. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, not- I've literally had this conversation three times over the weekend where everyone said yeah. about six months ago, something happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Instagram's decided the way it wants to go and it's not taking us with it. That's the problem. And I, and, um, I, I have, I have issues with it. I think it was, when I when I started my Instagram account, it was kind of a level playing field. Everyone started in the same place. You shared pictures. You know, if you were kind of proactive about it and put like a bit of effort in, everyone kind of had the chance to grow their account. Um, and it felt like it feels like now, if you don't have a production team behind you, you 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 know, no one is going to see your posts. And I have a large following, and no one sees my posts. And so why would I put the amount of effort in Instagram wants me to put in when they're not supporting me? They're not supporting mm-hmm. anyone and they're not giving us what we want. We really liked it when it was a community and we could see photos of what everyone was doing on a day to day basis. So um, that's the main reason, to be honest, that we decided to start the YouTube channel, because if we have to put that much effort into making content, I would rather be making content that was really genuinely useful for people, not a minute of quirky video where no one really learns anything. Um, and it's quite annoying to watch. Let's be honest. It's quite irritating. Yeah. So um, I, I'd rather make like a 10-minute video where you really see what I'm doing and you really see the garden and I really can take you on the journey. And there is so much happening here. We might have built the place and be living here now, but there's just still so much to do and there's so much that we want to do. And there's, you know, like I said, I feel like we're on a journey towards self-sufficiency. That's the end goal, but it's, it is a journey. Um, and as we try stuff and experiment and continue to build... 
I think that's something that needs to be shared properly. And I don't feel that Instagram provides the platform to do that anymore. So that's why we've started the YouTube channel. I'm not disappearing off Instagram or anything. You know, I'm going to do what I've always done. And I will post pretty pictures and no one will see them. But, you know, they're there if you want to look for them. Um, and, I, you know, I'll share it's a nice way to share on a day-to-day basis what we're up to here. But um, I feel like there's just so much more going on here and that needs to be shared because, you know, I don't think it's that everyone's going to rush out and buy an acre of land and start a homestead. But something has to change because, you know, we've got a massive uh, financial crisis. You know, we've got a cost of living crisis. We've got food security issues that keep popping up. Um, And I think that's really scary for people. And I think as a result, um, people are looking more towards changes they can make. So if we share everything that we're doing, there might be little parts of that that really resonate with people and could be a great fit for their life. So that's that was the um, motivation for doing it. So we're, you know, we're three videos in. <laughs> it's early days. But I, yeah, I, I really like it. The response has been massively positive, which is really nice. That is amazing. And I think, like you say, <clears throat> sorry, so many people are kind of becoming interested in something that they like a couple of years ago, people would have never been interested in doing. And so many people are thinking about buying land and doing something a bit different and kind of living with the land more than buying from supermarkets and living that kind of life um, longer term. So I think the biggest barrier other than money is that people don't know where to start and how they're going to achieve those kind of things. But I think like you break it down so well on Instagram as it is, but YouTube would be such a great way to kind of bring people along for that journey, almost like hold their hands along the way and give that real granular detail rather than it being like, a, oh, look, I've made this really great thing. I'm never going to, you'll never see anything else about it, but I've done this really great thing. That's, that's the thing, isn't it? There's no context for Instagram. And, um, you know, as much as people are like, oh, but it's already edited and, and, and you know, it's not real. The, the nature of Instagram is that, that is the only way in to get your post seen. Yeah. So it's kind of a self-perpetuating problem. Whereas with a YouTube video, I can show, you know, the actual nitty gritty of what's happening day to day. And I think that's really interesting for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it maybe takes a little bit of the fear out of it. Weirdly, I think if you're seeing someone going, Do you know what, it's quite hard and it didn't work. Um, yeah. That takes the fear out of it. Definitely. And, and go, yeah, you know, I can see she's tired. That was hard. That was clearly like really hard work, but she did it. And it, you know, she got there in the end. So she can do it. Maybe I can do it. Um, and that's, that's just, that's what I would like to be able to share. I mean, this was, this was a life that we really, really, really wanted to live. This was mm-hmm. important to us. And it's something that we feel is important. Um, and if by us doing this and us sharing this, it can help other people make any level of change that they want to make in their life, then I think that's a really magical thing. And I feel Absolutely. really to be able to do that. Absolutely. And you've inspired people for years, but I think that the crux of it really is that Instagram versus reality. Like the fact that that has been a phrase for such a long time kind of sums up the problem with Instagram is yeah, that absolutely. Instagram isn't for the reality. Like if you're not pretending that you're living this incredible life where nothing ever goes wrong and it's all magical yeah. and there's twinkling fairy lights wherever you walk, yeah, then, exactly. then they don't want that. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think, you know, that's that's so much what the algorithm demands. And that's really, really 
sad. You know, it's it's not what people are asking for. So that's why we've decided to to make this this oh fly. That's um, <laughs> why so we've decided uh, we've decided to make this move. And um, oh yeah, I, I'm really excited for it. I think I think it's a positive thing. And yeah, it just feels like there's just so much to share, and we've got so much coming that we want to do (laughs) and I want people to see it yeah it works or not and I think longer term you'll be so appreciative to have that time like in the future to look back on kind of where it started and how those projects went in the earlier days as you kind of move through and be able to watch that whole that whole journey back yeah definitely I think if anyone looks through the last year of photographs and you started out and I was like all oh, the makeup and hair still nicely done and going oh we're gonna build a house it's really great it's gonna be fantastic I'm really excited and then by the end of it I have no makeup on which I never used I used to be terrified of taking photographs I think a lot of women feel the same yeah Ter- terrified of appearing on Instagram without makeup on I had no makeup on I had massive bags and wires I had spots I was clearly so run down quite ill like talking you could hear how ill I was I had whole videos where I basically just coughed the whole way through it and um, I just didn't care anymore I was like I am so tired but this is what we did today there you go (laughs) that was that's the reality of how the year has been and it's just I think it's really broken my barriers down which is something that I think really needed to happen and and I've just not in a in a way that I don't care about my followers at all, because I do. I still think there's an amazing community out on Instagram of people that I really miss interacting with and I don't see anymore. And I think that's that's the main problem is we all miss mm. each other. Absolutely. Um, so uh, I think my barriers need to be broken down. So I just don't care anymore. I don't care. <laughs> I just, I am not going to spend all day working on an Instagram post because why like it's not it's not real (laughs) you know you can see what I did that day and if if, you know it might not be that beautiful but it's real I think the thing I really miss is being able to just post photographs of beautiful vegetables because they what they you know that that is what I actually do for a job Mm -hmm. and I really like for me they were quite personal because I've grown the plant all the way through. It's not just like I've gone to a shop and bought a load of veg, the prettiest veg I can find and styled it up and taken a photograph of it. That was literally something I've nurtured from like the right at the beginning of the year and plants all the way through and done everything I can. And you can like, they might be beautiful pictures, but there's still scars on the tomatoes and there's splits and there's, you know, so it is trying to capture the beauty of something that is quite mundane which is something that I I really love and I feel quite passionate about and I really miss that 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 just why can't we just enjoy a picture a lovely picture of tomatoes anymore what's wrong with yeah. that <laughs> but I also think that that was quite a lot of what we needed we needed something a bit simpler that was just kind of like there's something that you would save or that you would like just appreciate in the moment rather than it being silly videos where you watch to the end and you think I've just wasted yeah because you you end up in that scrolling like mundane you're learning nothing you're gaining nothing it's just you're there because there's there's things that are moving in front of you rather than it being anything that anyone actually wants yeah it's frustrating it is frustrating but apparently there's nothing we can do about it so we have to roll with the punches and move to youtube (laughs) 
Um, going back to a happier, more inspirational note. Um, so I would love to talk to you about Hampton Court Palace because I went to see the first year I went to Hampton Court Palace. I think it might have been the first year that the allotment section was there for the show altogether. Um, and I walked around it with my mum and I was like, Lucy from She Grows Fair, she's got a garden here. Like, it looks amazing from the videos. We have to go see it. And we were walking around and I was like, the allotment section is just the most amazing section of the whole show because it's the only bit that you can go and see and go, I can do that. I could take yeah. that home and do that in my garden. Whereas the show gardens are brilliant, but they they just are a bit unattainable for the regular showgoer. Um, and so the allotment section was what really inspired me. And because I knew that you'd done it, I said to my mum, I was like, I want to I want to do it I want to know how how this has happened and I want to do it myself and then the applications opened and I applied expecting to never get in because I was thinking oh it's going to be really really like tough competition they're never going to let me in and then when I was accepted I was like oh my god what am I going to do and I went back and I watched all of your videos and all of your posts from from when you'd done the show um but yeah for me it was an amazing experience but I think if I hadn't watched you do it prior I never would have kind of had that belief that it would be possible, if that makes sense. Oh, I love that. It makes me so happy. <laughs> I, I was so happy when that RHS contacted me and said, we're going to do a community allotment section of the show because, you know, we all love the RHS shows and gardening shows and things. Yeah. But as you say, you go along and it's a bit kind of removed from real life because you know it, those gardens have they've had tens of thousands of pounds spent on them and um you know there's a really big focus on hard landscaping I think as well on them yeah absolutely you know is not I think what appeals to a lot of kind of our crowd should we say and also you know that you can't really easily make that happen without bringing in landscapers and things like that so it does feel very removed and and um when they brought in the community allotments I was just so pleased because it is suddenly like okay we can do something that looks really real and achievable and this is the bit that people are going to be excited about seeing because this is the bit where they're going to come and go okay I can actually do that in my garden yeah so that's what I wanted to do with the garden that I designed was um you know I'm a great believer that an edible garden can be really really beautiful um, and I think that was one of the things that surprised me most when I started studying horticulture, the massive divide that there is within the industry between ornamental gardening and grow your own. It's mm-hmm. like allotments, grow your own, overalls, old guy with garden fork, you know, it's like really traditionalized and it's just like dig for victory kind of. Exactly. Like solving, like serving a purpose, like you Mm. hide it away, you hide the veg garden, if you even have one. I mean, there's very, lots of very snooty gardeners who are like, I I just do flowers, darling. I don't do, I don't do veg. It's not for me. Um, And it's like, it's like the less popular little sibling to you know the ornamental gardening and I never got it because I'm like it's just plants they're all just plants how you use the plant you can approach the planting plan in exactly the same way the fact that you can eat the plant doesn't make any difference to how you can plant it so you can just do both and if we're in a world where you know we're flying food halfway around the world uh and and you know farming things all over the place and industrial and things it, it needs to be bought more local and there's no better way to bring things and food more local than 
to grow as much of it as you can yourself. So why not have a garden that does both? So you can walk around it and it's absolutely gorgeous. It's your dream garden. You want to sit out in it all the time. But basically every single plant in it provides you with a harvest of some kind. So that's what I wanted to show with that garden. So it was very much planted up, despite being one of the community allotments, it was very much planted up to look exactly like an ornamental garden. Um, and yeah, I was really, really pleased with the result. Having I, I did two courses in garden design when I decided that horticulture was where I wanted to be, to retrain, because that's what I thought I was going to do. I wasn't expected to end up doing whatever it is that I am now. <laughs> that wasn't on the plan. <laughs> the plan was to be a garden designer. Um, so, um, yeah, and I, and I wanted it to be edible. All my gardens were going to be edible. They were going to be beautiful, but they were going to be edible. So that was my opportunity to kind of really fulfill that side of my passion. Um, and it was fantastic. I, I really enjoyed doing it. And, yeah, I, just any time that I get feedback you know lovely feedback like you said where it was an inspiration to you I think I because I, I don't think about anything that I do particularly in that way so it's mm-hmm. just really that's really nice <laughs> really happy <laughs> and so it should it was it was such a beautiful garden I think it there were so many I loved that it just had so many different things that you could take away like you don't have to take away the whole garden there was like the hanging plants and the different ways of growing things up and up a structure and on yeah. the ground and that really like interspersing plants rather than it being stupid straight rows where everything yeah. looks exactly how it looks in the photographs of the books. <laughs> yeah, there were like cabbages all through the flower beds, but you couldn't really tell. And um and I've got a number of people I had conversations with going, but you've got canners in there. It's like, yes, I know you can eat them. Like, mm. oh, what? Oh, you've got dahlias in there. Yeah, you can eat those too. <laughs> yeah, they're actually really good. <laughs> There's always those people, isn't there? Always those people that just want to pick apart what you've done and go, well, you do realise. And you're like, yes, I do. Thank you. Yeah. you Thank you, you for flagging. <laughs> Um, but was it I'm glad it was an amazing experience for you because it definitely was for me and I just think it was like the conversations you get to have with people through the show and although I found the audience really changed from the beginning of the show when it's like members days to the end yeah which was quite interesting to see um, the conversations on the last few days were definitely more argumentative the earlier days people people are just really inspired and want like want to know more about kind of what you've created and where you're going with it so yeah I just I think any opportunity to do things in real life is really nice I think two reasons one obviously I've ended up with a career you know we, we spend a lot of time online um through necessity and so you you know you meet it in inverted commas a lot of people but actually meeting people in real life and getting to do something really tangible where people can see it and it I think is is really special and has a level of magic to it um and then you know post-covid where we got had like no social content for so long (laughs) the novelty just still hasn't worn off everything feels like every like every gathering of people just feels like a massive treat and an occasion so yeah I think for those two reasons getting to do anything tangible is really really nice definitely and I still shock myself every time I say it when I go oh my god I've met them in real life (laughs) as if suddenly that's like a like a shocking thing that you've seen someone in real life as opposed to (laughs) 
think especially because I live in Devon, every everywhere seems such a trek. So like when those shows happen, it's an opportunity for like people to get together and kind of make make the extravagance of traveling a long way. Yeah, it's definitely. such an exciting time to. And I think because the the gardening community has grown so much over the past few years, and everyone's just so excited about what everyone's doing and kind of the different paths people are taking. When you get everyone together, it's just this real kind of the sense of community that we used to have on Instagram is yeah. kind of coming into the real life now that we get to see each other again. <laughs> yeah, definitely, for sure. And I think as well, like it, something really exciting has happened to the gardening community over the last few years. Is when I started, it still very much felt like a bit of a kind of old guys club, you know? It was like all media was very much aimed at a very much older crowd and everything was very gentle. And still, I mean, it still is, to be honest, from a media perspective, magazines and TV shows and stuff, it's all very awfully gentle and slow and calm. And, um, you know, I think actually there's a lot of really, like I hesitate to say young because think I'm young anymore you are. <laughs> I think young minded I think is what it's about I don't think it's got anything to do with age I think it's just about your definitely um, and it's just you know people with energy and excitement and people are like really riled up about stuff and they're, they're, they're excited to try stuff and experiment and and I think it's that energy of you know a certain type of people that are bringing in an energy that's that's new and that's what's really really exciting just it would be lovely if the media caught up with that (laughs) and hopefully one day they will I feel like it's still it's still in that sense of it feels very much like them versus us yeah as opposed to that them and us could also be the same person and we could we could join together and you know if you if you want to teach us some things then we will happily learn from you and we can teach you some things back rather than it being like a patronizing (laughs) (laughs) we also understand stuff too we do yeah (laughs) we know a thing or two about growing plants because we've done it for a little while now (laughs) um so the next thing I want to talk about is some of the kind of heirloom 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 varieties that you've grown now I feel like you're renowned for your tomatoes Um, and those tomato pictures are just stunning but do you have like I mean, I, I don't know if I could ask you to pick a top five, but what are the tomato varieties that really stand out to you that you think like year after year you would always kind of go back to? OK, um, it's hard because I grow like 55 or so varieties every year, but yeah. I do keep like rolling through them just because I think and I'm not sure I'll ever reach the perfect. Mm-hmm. But, you know, one day maybe. Um, but I will always grow Black Beauty. Yeah, I agree with that um, for the first time this year. Because I think, you know, you can say what you like about it being an Instagram tomato. And obviously it's very, very eye-catching being jet black. But it is one of the best tasting tomatoes, in my opinion, if you like that complex flavour. If you only like orange and yellow tomatoes, then we are not going to get along. Because... <laughs> they're just sweet so I don't actually grow a lot of orange and yellow tomatoes because they are super low acid and I like a really complex flavored tomato Mm -hmm. so black beauty will always be up there for me ananas noir as Mm -hmm. well which is I've seen lots of people talking about that this year yeah well that's the one I showed on um gardener's world and it is again a really spectacular tomato it doesn't look that spectacular from the outside it's kind of a like dull yellowy greeny with a hint of 
squid. Very, very ripe. Looks a bit boring. It's quite large, but then you cut it in half and it is amazing. It's like proper tie-dye of red and orange and green and like a burst of colour in the middle. So it's well worth growing. And again, it's absolutely delicious, super, super juicy and, and tasty. Um, and green Berkeley tie-dye is another of my favourites, which again is, um, uh, it's kind of in the vein of ananas noir. It does a very similar job, but it's prettier on the outside. Mm-hmm. And again, super tasty. So I don't grow anything, despite what people probably think. I don't grow anything that doesn't taste good. Or if I do, it lasts one season and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so it has to have more than looks. But um, I also refuse, basically, to grow a red round tomato. I just won't do it. Um, I don't believe that there is a single red round tomato that tastes as good as any of the early ones that I've ever grown. So don't do it. <laughs> That's a good rule to live by. Exactly. Yeah, there's my tomato rule. There's no red round. I'll grow red tomatoes and I will grow round tomatoes, but they won't be red and round. <laughs> <laughs> the two together is just a nightmare. No, no. So I've got um, a couple of new ones that I've added to my repertoire that I think will be staying um, are mushroom basket. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people grow the costaluto tomatoes. Yeah, I have those um, this year. One of the two, which are quite similar. I don't actually like them. Um, I find, although they're kind of sourcing tomatoes, I actually found that they were quite lacking in flavour when I tried them. So I've ruled them out and replaced them with mushroom basket, mm-hmm. which is along the same lines, but they get much bigger. Oh, okay. And I think they have a better taste. So it's not like going to blow your mind flavour because they're still a sourcing tomato. But I think if you are going to eat them fresh, I find them flavor better mm-hmm. so that's my, one of my new favorites and also this really cool tomato that I found from this little breeder um who uh, it's called bowling pin and in every tomato photo that I've posted this year everyone's like oh my god what is that long tomato <laughs> everyone loves the bowling pins they're basically strictly speaking I guess like a pear-shaped tomato but super super long so they're about 20 centimeters or so oh, long. wow a wiggly long elongated pear um shaped tomato they're red um and they're just really cool looking and they taste good and they're they're strictly speaking a sourcing tomato but um if I'm gonna grow a sourcing tomato I like to be able to have the option to slice it as well yeah definitely like you're not always making sauces when they're ripe you know no exactly and also I um uh, I will source any tomato I don't Uh, me too (laughs) I I want them all to taste good eat fresh and I'll stick them all in a pot and boil them I don't care (laughs) Um, and you've done some amazing things obviously with Mike and Toe you have a a very (laughs) handy tool in your toolkit um, with preserving and very well (laughs) I bet (laughs) but you just make the most of literally absolutely everything of your crops and I think it's again such an inspiration just Sometimes I look at stuff and I just I don't know what to do with it. I'm like, I've got a mass of this and I'm going to have to freeze it because I, I I can't like work out what what I'm going to do with this volume that is going to be useful. Again, that's like another thing that has really surprised us when we've kind of now we've embraced this life, because obviously um, aiming for self-sufficiency, preservation is is quite an important part of that. Mm. So, then, you know, started looking into 
preservation and in this country we're not very good at it not at all we don't do very much of it and the generic advice is actually not necessarily really food safe so you know we're pretty much taught that if you put hot food into a hot jar and put the lid on you're good you are not good (laughs) not safe so you know we started doing loads of research because um there's you know, free, we're very, very, I think, emotionally attached to our freezers in this country. Yes. But again, that takes electricity to run. And there's only so many freezers that you can have. I mean, my freezer was filled, full by the end of June, I think. So, you know, you've got to think a bit more laterally about what you're going to do. And also, if you're going to be self-sufficient I think you've got to keep it interesting you don't mm-hmm. want to be like oh okay tomato sauce again exactly <laughs> yeah. uh, you know you want to mix it up and you you want all your meals to stay interesting so um we've done a lot of research into different ways to preserve things and trying things out and they don't always work but I think the game changer for us has been um that we have bought a pressure canner which is not a pressure cooker and you can't get them in this country. So I'm actually going to make a YouTube video about this because it's been such a weird thing. You know, when you just come across something, you're like, why is this this way? This is so weird. This shouldn't be like this. (laughs) But basically you can can any food, but you have to do it at the right pressure for the right amount of time. And you can only do that with a pressure canner. So you could, you can be making soups and can them. You could be making stews. You can can fish. You can can meat. I mean, literally you can can pretty much anything as long as it doesn't have a a high fat content um, with a pressure canner, but we don't do it in this country. We fill our freezers up. So um, then, that's a little bit of a rabbit hole that I'm currently falling down with Mike's help. <laughs> he makes the food because if I make it, it tastes rubbish. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, it's just really interesting that we don't even have them available in this. Yeah, place. that's mad. Not, people not talk about the fact that you can do it, but you, you, there's one place you can buy them and it's four times the price they cost in America. So I've actually found a way to buy them direct from America. It's not cheap, but it's less than a freezer and then running it. So um, I'm going to share that. And then our little journey into learning how to pressure can and that kind of thing, because yeah, I think you do end up with these gluts as a veg gardener Mm -hmm. and um, you, you just, like oh my god if I see another courgette I'm gonna cry (laughs) and have to say courgettes are probably the hardest one (laughs) because we all end up with loads and loads of courgettes I still have so many courgettes and I every time I bring them in from the garden I honestly think Mike might cry (laughs) they don't have a lot of flavor and then tried everything we really have tried everything but beyond making a soup that's absolutely like probably about half cheese it doesn't taste of anything <laughs> so that's probably I think the most challenging one but you know you do end up with these gluts and you've got I think it's it's good to have an arsenal of different ways to preserve things because otherwise you do just end up with you know an entire freezer full of tomato sauce and you just don't even you can't even face it a month later any more tomato pasta <laughs> yeah I ate tomato pasta tomato soup tomato pasta bake tomato sauce made as a pizza sauce for all of last week where I just I just roasted a massive tray of tomatoes being like the freezer's already full there's nowhere else for it to go it's gonna have to be eaten fresh (laughs) and as delicious as it is it is that kind of like eventually you're like oh okay um do you do much of a dehydrator we do so we have a dehydrator um and yeah it was a really really good investment you don't have to have one you can use an oven Mm -hmm. uh, but 
it it has been well worth it. We bought it secondhand off eBay, so it looks a bit knackered, but it works just fine. So it doesn't. You don't have to spend a lot of money on fancy pants ones, but it's mm-hmm. certainly worth having a decent size one if you want to preserve things in earnest. Um, just anything from like there's so many foods that even if you're not making like a dehydrated food, as in like a crisp form of something, um, it's been really useful for doing things like powders, for yes. example, so using the leftovers of, from a tomato sauce, or these bits you get left behind, um, powdering that into a really, really intensive seasoning powder is really great. So that kind of thing, but there's so many things you can powder. So we're making a black garlic powder at the moment, mm. um, pretty much anything you can think of. Smoking has been a really, really good one as mm-hmm. well. So Mike's mega into smoking. He's built like this huge Greenlandic smoker and things, but we've got like a little quick version that we can use just outside as well. Um, and it's just another way to add really interesting, intense flavors to things. You know, smoking chilies, smoking peppers. It's not actually very hard to do. It sounds like, oh my God, I'm going to need some massive piece of equipment. But basically we've got something that's about this big and you just put, fill it with sawdust and light it and then oh, stick okay. a cardboard box over the top and you can wow. make amazing smoked food. So just finding ways of adding interesting flavors or preserving, you know, the intensity of a flavor in as many different ways as possible, I think is really key to the journey that we're on, just Mm -hmm. to to make sure that the food stays interesting. Definitely. I love the idea of the powders and things as well, because it doesn't take up as much room anywhere because the powder is so compact. I've seen lots of people doing kind of different bits and pieces and even like doing their own dried herbs I don't know why it's never kind of occurred to me before that from all the herbs that I have that I obviously can't get through while they're fresh I could make them into my own dried herbs yeah it is well worth doing I have to say that has it you know there are some things you get and go do you know what that really wasn't worth it um but that one has been I would say yeah if you're into preserving and you're into trying to kind of make sure that you keep as much of your own harvest edible for as long as possible it's well worth the investment for one of those definitely I mean I can see on the shelves behind you all of your beautiful jars jars. (laughs) (laughs) I love having food on display I think it's just if you've grown it and then made it and then jarred it just being able to look at it just fills you with a real sense of satisfaction like yeah I have provided for my family and it's there (laughs) I don't think it will ever get boring when you go someone someone goes oh that's nice or like that's really tasty and you go oh thank you I agree that myself I agree (laughs) (laughs) but it is it's so it's so satisfying and I think you know it's it we've we've got the whole picture here as well because I didn't before I I will hold my hands up completely and go, I don't cook well. I really don't. Um, Me neither. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> People really think I must cook well. I don't. It tastes awful. I try. Well, I don't really anymore, in fairness. <laughs> when you've got Mike, I don't know if you need to try. <laughs> you know, now, you know, with, with Mike, and, you know, he's a professional chef and has been his whole life. So um, we really have the food side covered as well. And I think that was another thing that was quite important for me to show on YouTube that's why we set it up as the homestead channel rather than just um it being me gardening because there's so much of a bigger picture there and the food is so linked to what you're growing you know you're growing it because you want to eat it so if you end the journey at look what I picked then you're not giving the full story um especially 
with the direction that we're taking in because 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 we're aiming for this self-sufficiency and to reduce our carbon footprint through food and that kind of thing you need you need the whole journey so it doesn't just end when I pick a, a vegetable it's what happens after that and I think that's the the feedback that I've had is that that's something that people are really missing you know they they just they've got it and they know that they can eat it fresh or they can you know do something with it then but what if they want to do something else with it? What are the options? Like, what else is there? So, yeah, that's that's was important to me and to us to show the whole journey. So right from selecting your seeds before you've mm-hmm. even sown anything all the way through to eating it and preserving it. I couldn't agree more. That eating and preserving bit at the end is definitely the amount of people I've spoken to in the last 12 months who you like is something, again, that we never talk about on Instagram, but you have a glut of something and then you eat a batch of it and then the rest of it's gone moldy and you've ended up putting it back in the compost and you've shared all of these amazing pictures of everything that you've grown how proud you are and then you've just gone I just don't know what to do now <laughs> I've done the one thing I know how to do and I've done it 12 times and now now what do I do um, yeah. but it's it's that kind of like it feels the gardening bit feels like the easy bit and for me the cooking bit is where it's like oh what am I gonna do now well, I think I, I've always felt that it would be a bit, um, it, it would be the ultimate Instagram lie if I got up there and cooked. So I will share where I'm making like a really basic tomato sauce. But um, I do share what I do in the kitchen because it's off the very most basic level and therefore achievable for everyone. Yes. <laughs> I don't get complicated. So if I can do it, you can definitely do it. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's nice to be able to show what Mike does with it because it's just so much more complex and so much more inspiring. Um, but it's good because you've got the basic level and the aspirational level so it's kind of like a a pro you can progress towards that kind of yeah absolutely and I think like um we like that you know I can talk about all these plants that you can eat and go you know you can eat cannas and you can eat dahlias and you can eat lab lab and all these things and go okay cool how yeah (laughs) but you know what's the point in just saying yeah you can do that but not showing it and not sharing how because otherwise you're not kind of instilling the level of confidence that people need in order to actually really try it exactly and there's so much fear over I mean I'm terrible at any time I try and make anything like I'm a proper basic cook but my mum's really good so like I take all my beetroots and I'm like oh can you pickle these for me please because I know that that's something that you can do really well (laughs) Um, and then there's other people that I'm like if I give you this will you make something amazing with it because I don't know what to do with it either (laughs) but you know what I quite like that community aspect of it and I think that we would be a much healthier society if we could embrace that all a little bit more like we used to be and I, I say used to not that long ago for like a, a long time yeah we had the whole dig dig for victory thing and stuff but you know that community food sharing uh, approach was a really big deal for a long time after that it's only really quite recently that we are now 100% dependent on supermarkets for mm-hmm. everything and we've become spoiled with what they stock so if we all got back to like a little bit more of subsistence approach like everyone grows a bit if you have loads share it with your neighbors because they probably yeah. got something else and then you get that and you know if you can't pickle and preserve hand them to you know your friend down the road who is desperate to make every chutney under the sun but can't grow it you know and and spread the love a bit you know um and then I think we would be taking I mean it's it's I know it's all dreaming and it would be lovely but I 
I do think that there is a passion in people for more of this kind of lifestyle and to connect with people more and to grow more and have more um, connection with nature and a bit more control over their food. So I do think that there is the start of things moving in that direction. And if we could get back to that, a bit more of that kind of way of being, we would have, we would be healthier, but we would have a much healthier planet as well. Mm. You'd have a lot less reliance on um, industrial food production which means you know less land needing to be used more rewilding more ability for farmers to be regenerative because they don't have to grow quite as much and you know it's all got very very positive knock-on effects definitely we just need to start sharing more I actually was just down at the allotment yesterday with the babies and my allotment neighbor has loads of pears and apples and chilies and she was like you can take them and make whatever you want with them and so this week me and my sister are hopefully going to make um I don't know what yet but some kind of like pear chutney pear and chili chutney of some kind some cakes that we can like share around and freeze and other bits and then last year I made like a green tomato sweet chili jam type thing and it's really not true (laughs) I can't but my sister can but that sweet chili jam was the best thing I've ever made and I shared it round, and everyone who tried it, I was like, so before I make the next batch, can you just let me know what you would change? And honestly, I was shocked. All of the harshest food critics around me were like, I would change nothing. It's perfect. I was like, oh, my goodness, this is my, well my award-winning that. recipe. So that's everyone Christmas present sorted, yeah? Yeah, so that's what we're going to do this week. And hopefully, I've been saving jars for ages for just to so that we've got lots of things to put them in. <laughs> and then uh, everyone will be eating that for the next 12 months, hopefully. Nice. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just figuring out what we're actually going to do with them. Um, I need to do some research on some recipes and decide what, because the problem is, is like I made pumpkin jam a few years ago and I made so much of it and it was horrible. <laughs> another one. Like if you can't actually just have them sitting there and roast them and do something with them in the moment, it's they're a tough one to preserve. Yeah. I mean, I know because you can store them for quite a long time as long as they're stored properly. That's great. But I, I don't know what to do with them. Other than, I mean, the jam, one of my friends was obsessed with it. And she asked me every year if I'm going to make it again. I'm like, it just wasn't worth it. wasn't <laughs> worth the time it took. You just have to give the recipe. Yeah. She was like, oh, I, I can't cook. I was like, no, me neither. But, you know, <laughs> that's why I made that horrible jam that you're obsessed with. <laughs> um, but anyway, is there anything other than the YouTube channel? Is there anything else exciting coming up in the next little while? Oh, yeah, I have um, I have a horrible week of staring at a computer ahead of me, which is one of the things that I like least in the world. But because uh, we are um, hopefully at the end of the week launching a, a homestead shop, which is really exciting because really- it's kind of like the next step in helping people do a part of what we're doing so mm-hmm. I look at you know other online stores and other gardening stores and things and it's all quite generic and it's the same stuff you know some gardening gloves some gardening tools and this and this and this um but you know we've featured and used a lot of quite unusual materials whilst doing this project um and strange tools and that kind of thing so you know I get asked a lot how did you do that where did you get that from you know where do you source your tomato seeds where do you that all that kind of question I get them all the time so we thought what if we could bring all of that together into one place 
where it's independent companies, you know, small businesses, um, and people get the opportunity to have a kind of one-stead homestead shop but really interesting things like really inspiring things so we've got uh, heirloom tomato seeds got some seeds that I've saved off the homestead which will be exciting uh we've got um great compost and feeds and um mushroom plugs and mushroom mm. growing kits and um everything and then in like special handmade knives and chopping boards and just a really interesting selection of things that we genuinely use mm-hmm. as well. So I don't really believe in the kind of just endorse everything and, you know, that kind of thing. But if it's a product that I genuinely swear by, I will shout about it because it's a game changer. So, yeah, we wanted to find a way to kind of bring all of that together into a kind of one-stop shop. So I'll be, you know, it's going to start small and it will we'll hopefully build it up from there. But it's just an opportunity to give people somewhere that wasn't like a great big corporate faceless place to shop that sold you the same thing again and again and again, (laughs) Um, you know, where you could find really interesting, inspiring presents for people or, you know, things to take home and use in your own garden and find, you know, that would just enhance your food growing experience and make it interesting. That sounds amazing, especially just in time for Christmas as well. I'll just be sending over the entire link as my Christmas this. (laughs) Yeah. Well, every year I'm just like, oh, God, I don't know what to get anyone. And then, you know, you get the the longer you leave it, you have more and more of the daunting prospects of having to hit Amazon up. And, you know, I think people want to feel good about giving presents now. I think we've all had enough of just stuff or buying yes for the sake of buying presents is something that really irritates me it's just gifting for the sake of gifting you want it to be something that is either special or inspiring or does a little bit of good so it was about trying to make sure that everything that we offer does something does some of that job so yeah hopefully it will be a place that people can find interesting Christmas presents and stuff um basically where I'll be getting all mine (laughs) that's easy for me (laughs) and it's another kind of step on the journey of like if you're helping them along with the YouTube channels and on Instagram to kind of like get to that point then it's it's that extra bit of kind of you now you can find everything in one kind of shop makes it it, it just makes it easier because I think sometimes I, the things that we show people are like, well, you know, that's quite interesting, but I'm not sure I could do that. You know, like making the mushroom logs, you know, you don't find mushroom plugs just everywhere. So, you know, this is a way that we can go, okay, you can make like mushroom logs and it's really easy. And there's the stuff to buy it. If you mm-hmm. want to buy it, it's right there, you know? So it just takes another level of intimidation out of the whole process. Absolutely. Oh, can't wait for this to launch. Um, so depending on when the podcast comes out, depends on when that might be. be but. Hopefully it should be up. So check it out. It's on cedarwoodhomestead.com, which is Amazing. our new website, which I'm building and I hate it. <laughs> well, good luck. Good luck with your week. Um, I'm before... better at building houses than I am at building websites. So if it's I mean, horrible, let me know. I'll try and fix it, okay? <laughs> if you could pick one skill or the other, I would definitely rather be able to build a house than a website. Every time. <laughs> My brother's a web developer, but, you know, boring. House building. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so I think that that's probably wrapping up this episode, but it has been just amazing to chat to you and hear more about your 
exciting life as a whole. <laughs> um, crazy life. <laughs> <laughs> but can you just remind everyone all the wonderful places that they can find you to see more inspiration? Okay, so you can follow me on Instagram at She Grows Veg, which is where most people find me. The Homestead also has a Instagram, which is Cedarwood Homestead. And then online, we are cedarwoodhomestead.com. Oh, and YouTube, Cedarwood Homestead. Yeah, Cedarwood Homestead. Just Google that or She Grows Veg and we'll pop up all over the place. (laughs) Definitely worth a follow because it's just the most amazing journey. And also on the Instagram, going back, just to see where it all came from like with the homestead I can't believe how much you've done (laughs) what is it like a year yeah well it's not even a year so we took we took we completed on the house on the 29th of October so it is currently 10th of October and we haven't even had it a year and we're living off it and it's brilliant love it it is unreal well thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure Awesome chatting to you. Thank you so much for having me on. If you've enjoyed listening today, please do subscribe to keep up to date with upcoming episodes and leave a review. Each share, comment and star rating makes such a difference in helping new growers to find the podcast and learn from all of the incredible guests who have been featured. In the meantime, I'd love to hear any of your stories and questions on Instagram at Diary of a Lady Gardener or via email, diaryofaladygardener at gmail.com. That's all from me this week. Happy growing! <music>